Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I caught up with songwriter, musician and producer Eric Alcock from his studio in Berlin. Eric, originally from Toronto, Canada, has been residing in Berlin since 2019 and is flourishing in his new surroundings. Eric talks us through what brought him to Berlin, as well as how his musical roots were sown back in Canada as a 17-year-old, first starting out in the music industry. There's tales of auditioning for the president of EMI Publishing, understanding how important collaboration is as a musician, pitching songs for Eminem's recovery album, and then hearing them on the radio, and the romanticised narrative of the music industry versus the reality of the business. We get into musical influences, his new project with Craig Walker, Craig Walker and the Cold, as well as some of the other musical ventures he has on the go. In the top five, there's Pat Benatar, Taylor Swift, The Weeknd, the pros and cons of crediting songwriters. We ponder what the Arctic Monkeys and Dolly Parton would sound like if they worked together, and why losing a pint of blood at an audition wasn't as bad as it sounds. Without further ado, Eric Alcock. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I had been doing sessions and sort of in this band called the New Royales with a guy from LA and a couple Canadians so I was traveling back and forth a lot and then decided to move out there did you know the three-year sort of artist visa thing uh, learned a lot had a great time but when it was sort of ending I um, didn't really feel like LA was the place for me so I was sort of thinking of various places where I might, I might want to live so I'd considered Paris because I speak French and I really like the city and I went out and worked there for a couple months didn't really feel like the right, right fit and uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do but then the Canadian Music Publishers Association mm-hmm. put together a writing trip called Create Germany where it was a cool thing that they did where I, I wasn't a part of the first one where they have a bunch of German writers go to Toronto and work with Canadians and then they have a bunch of Canadians come to Berlin so I was invited to be a part of that um, had never it's like the old Berlin, school exchange kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's I mean, it's a really cool idea. Version. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so I came to Berlin and, uh, my God, day one, I mean, we were working at Hanzo Studio where David Bowie did Heroes. Right. And I'm a massive David Bowie fan. So already I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. But then, I, you know, I spent a few days here and just fell in love with the place. I just thought it was so cool. It was so vibrant. There was such a cool music. Speaking English was not a problem, which... You know, I know, I know, obviously you come to Germany, you should speak German. I don't. But I saw that this wouldn't be a big issue, at least in Berlin. And honestly, I, I was here for three days and then went back. And at the end of the first day, I called my wife and I said, that's it. We're moving to Berlin. I got a good feeling about it. And we did. And I love it. If it was only as yeah. easy as that for everyone, <laughs> you get that kind of vibe when you're <laughs> off. And uh, uh, Do you have a plan? Uh, not that one to get rid of you before you've just arrived, but... Uh, have you set yourself like some kind of timeline or are you quite flexible on, you know, how long you'll stay or maybe never leave? I mean, you know, honestly, at the moment it's open-ended. I mean, there's obviously there's visa 
considerations. Mm. So at the moment, I'm on a three-year, ends I think mid-next year. I'd like to reapply again. Because, you know, one thing I learned, I learned this from LA, and I've heard a lot of people say it, is that it takes about two years once you move to a new place to really kind of get the business side up and running. And so, I mean, I feel like I'm just starting to hit my stride now. I've got so many projects going that I'm excited about that it would be crazy to think about leaving anytime soon. But so my guess would be, you know, assuming I can get another visa, fingers crossed, at least another four years, maybe longer. I'm in no rush to leave. No, it's it's really cool. I mean, I just like, I really like all the music coming out of the city. People have, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to generalize too much, but I, I feel like the attitude towards making music is a bit different out here than my experiences were in Los Angeles, which is great. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I mean, there's a lot of people really thrive in, in, in LA. Uh, and I, like I said, I've got great friends out there and I, I loved a lot about it, but it wasn't really for me. And I just kind of like the vibe here a bit more. It works. It works for you. Eh? So that's a yeah. nice segue when we're talking about music, because that's really what the kind of meat and bones of what you do. Eh? It's uh, how did you get <laughs> you? You come from a musical background. How did you? How did you first start and get into the the music scene in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I. I mean, I came from one of those families where, you know, you had to play an instrument, although they're all academics. So I think the idea of that becoming a profession was never <laughs> uh, on the table. And they were a bit horrified when I went that way. But yeah, I mean, when I was, I think, 13 or something, I picked up a guitar. I mean, I'd played drums and piano before that. But then, of course, you know, it's such a, a cliched story. But basically, I had a crush on a girl and wanted to impress her by writing her a song, uh, which I did. And she hated and told me I should... <laughs> really stop doing that and definitely stop singing and all those things. And luckily it turned out, uh, I actually liked the guitar more than I uh, liked the girl. So <laughs> I'm sure I, that, I, there's, a, there's a motto in there for many a young man, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you know, I just started playing in bands. Then when I was 17, actually, this is kind of a funny story. When I was 17, I was able to get a meeting with the then president of EMI Publishing in Toronto. This guy, Mike McCarty, who's a legend in the Canadian music industry. And basically, you know, I, I got into his office. I had this old beaten up acoustic guitar. And he said, okay, you know, like, play me some songs. So I started playing him my first song. And I could just see he hated it. I mean, it was just eyes glazing over. And I just thought, oh, my God, as soon as I'm done the song, this is yeah, it. You know, gonna, gonna, oh, yeah, exactly. You know, the cane is kind of coming off the stage. <laughs> Uh, and so I, cause I used to busk a lot. I just sort of went into the next song and then into the next song without stopping. And at a certain point, because my guitar was kind of banged up, I, uh, tore my arm on it and started bleeding, just like gushing blood onto this What's guy's carpet. That, oh yeah. And I just, I wouldn't stop. And I kept on playing and I kept on playing. And eventually he said, okay, enough, <laughs> I'm going to sign you. And he did. And that was sort of my start. And he told me years later that he really did hate every single song I played. But he figured if I was willing to lose a pint of blood, he'd take a shot on me. <laughs> yeah, and he became a mentor. You know, he's really instrumental in me having anything to do with this. Has it always been, I mean, where do you see yourself primarily as a performer, a, a songwriter, a composer, a musician? What, what would you say you're describing? I, I see myself as all of those things. Performance has definitely taken a backseat. I used to be in bands and tour and all this kind of stuff, um, which I, I probably will start doing again pretty soon with uh, one of the projects I've been working on. But the, the way I think of it is 
I think songwriter, first and foremost. If, if I had to describe myself as any one thing, it'd be songwriter. After that, probably musician. After that, producer. That also happens to be the order of my skills. <laughs> I'm definitely not the best musician in the world, but I, I can get my ideas across. You can handle your, your, your own, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can play in time. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> a star, right? You know, <laughs> has it always been a, you know, when you got when you got your your break early on? Then was it that was it? You were just focused on do, doing as much as you could and getting your ideas out there and seeing where it takes you. It's taken you all over the world, then I'm presuming, right? They're touring and all sorts of things. Yeah, no, I've got to travel a lot. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I got signed to EMI, I dropped out of high school and just went for it. But I was also an overconfident kid who was definitely an asshole. Like, I think I probably was a, a, would hate myself if I met my 17-year-old <laughs> self. And, you know, so it took me a long time to understand how important collaboration was. And so I was just sort of like playing in my band. And it was my vision. And I wouldn't do anything else. And it, very slowly, it was about six, yeah, it's about six or seven years later, I was in this group, the New Royales. And that was where sort of this real piece of luck happened where this guy, DJ Khalil, who's the, the producer based in LA, was signed or is signed to Aftermath with Dr. Dre. And he asked me and my friend Liz Rodriguez, he said, you know, long shot, but I have an opportunity to pitch for Eminem. Do you want to send me some ideas? And I'd never written songs for pitch before, but it sort of seemed like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm not really into hip hop, but sure, let's give it a shot. And to my absolute shock and astonishment, we landed some songs on the recovery album. And, you know, I remember sort of being sort of in a bit of shock about it. And this was right around the time that the rock band I was in was breaking up. But I remember this being in my apartment and this car driving by and these strangers were playing the song I'd written and just sort of like my mind That's kind of real moment, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and at that point I sort of thought, okay, well, you know, I'd always seen myself as being, you know, a guy playing in rock bands, but it would be crazy to not pursue this new unsort of sought avenue that has presented itself. And so then I really launched myself into that. And that's when I started learning how to produce and really discovered a joy of uh, not only writing for pitch, but also, and this is by the way, one of the things I love about Berlin because there's so much of this, getting in the room with an artist and sort of trying to apply my experience in getting the best out of them and trying to create a piece of music that represents them and that they can be passionate about. I mean, I really enjoy that process, which is not something I, I would have thought I would, you know, a decade ago. As you were saying earlier, though, it might just be that whole getting older process without getting into the land of cliches. But when you're younger, well, let's be honest, you probably don't listen as much as we should, right? That's the whole point of being <laughs> young and annoying and stuff. And yeah, hopefully as you get a bit older, you, you take these other things on board where you especially if you're in that kind of uh, that mindset where you're working with someone closely that you can really bring it out in them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, and it's, I think you start to appreciate other aspects of, you know, a finished piece of music. I, you know, I always say that there's sort of a narrative because, you know, the music industry is also show business, right? So there's a narrative that is presented to the listening public which is great. I mean, it's cool. It's it's supposed to be a bit romantic. You know, the idea of, you know, whoever, like Kurt Cobain. I grew up loving Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. I mean, I was in grade two when Nevermind came out and it blew my mind. 
And, you know, I thought it was Kurt Cobain, you know, in his room, sort of writing these songs all by himself. And then he just sort of shows them to his bandmates and then, boom, they're top the of the world. Happens, eh? Exactly. And there's so, so much more to how that actually happens and the people involved in it happening. And, of course, that that whole nuanced story isn't presented in, you know, an article in a blurb because why should it be? It's not as as cool as this sort of you know, romanticized narrative. But once you start to know how things really work, it's kind of exciting to be a part of those other aspects. You know, like what, what, like what Butch Vig did with that record. I don't know if you've ever heard the story that those are all drum loops. What was the documentary? Was it Sound City? I think it was called the one Dave Grohl produced about the Sound City recording studios. They go into a right. detail about the recording. Never mind in that. Oh, in cool. That I actually haven't seen that. Uh, no, I didn't know that actually, but. I was just listening to Bleach the other day, actually, just a few tracks off it, and I thought, yeah, it's a great. It's like, I don't know, it's one of the, everyone knows Nevermind, but I think Bleach has a, a bit more, I don't know, I think it's a better album in a lot of different a lot of different ways. Yeah, Nevermind has a very close place in my heart, but it's not an album I actually listen to. To be fair, you know, Bleach or In Utero, I, mm. I'm more likely to actually sit down and give a listen to these days than... It's a bit Nevermind. like the book, the bookmarks and kind of uh, <laughs> never minds the one in the middle. Right? It's like... Yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of the meat of the sandwich, but... There we go, exactly. You know, and it's definitely not bologna or any kind of cheap stuff. It's, it's pretty decent. <laughs> it's a decent cut. Uh, what about like musical influences and... In- what did you grow up listening to? What was you have brothers and all that? You know, you know siblings, Eric. That the records were being passed around or tapes at school. I I had uh, two step brothers, one of whom lived with uh, with us, and he's I guess I mean twelve years older than I am. So he, I mean, he definitely turned me on to a lot of stuff. Like he's the one who gave me a tape of Nevermind when I was in grade two, and just blew my mind. He taped the first, you know. He gave me a tape of Sgt. Pepper's, and mm. I became a Beatles fanatic, which I still am. Uh, David Bowie. I was really into Weezer in high school. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was obviously influenced by the whole grunge thing. Mm. I don't really think it's had a massive sort of lasting influence on me. More like Radiohead, I, I, I really like. There was a lot of classical music around my house. I mean, quite eclectic tastes. I mean, I love Portishead. I love trip-hop. I got into hip-hop later in life, although I did have uh, Fear of a Black Planet by public enemy when i was a kid right and that was a lot you know for the sort of like suburban canadian kid suddenly to hear this and be like what like, i remember just the first time i listened i was like what is this i just don't even understand <laughs> what this is you know? a lot going on here it's kind of yeah it's a, it's a lot to take on board public enemy still they released a, an album last year as well and uh, still going strong oh they're incredible yeah no, I mean, I'd say, I mean, if I had to say, like, real, real, the main influences for me growing up would be Nirvana and the Beatles, with with maybe a, a healthy dash of Bob Marley. No. So pretty, pretty stereotypical <laughs> stuff, but. <laughs> not, not too shabby, did I see? Mm. Uh, there's a group called Pond that I really like out of Australia. Kurt Vile, Courtney Barnett, you know, a lot, a lot of, like, the Matador stuff. I mean, that's almost like a label that I just follow. Or Stones Throw, for that example, like you know, or for that matter, it's another label that I just kind of really like. But, yeah, I mean, there's not – I was actually sort of wondering myself the other day whether at a certain point with age you sort of stop becoming obsessive about albums like who you were when you were younger. Because these days it definitely tends to be, you know, I'll listen to an album a couple times and then find a couple songs I really like and kind of really get into those songs. 
But maybe it also has to do with, now I'm just sort of ranting, but the way that you consume music, of course, mm. being that everything is so accessible, whereas it's not like you buy this one album and this is like what you have to listen to. Uh, but yeah, no, I would, say, I would say, you know, there's a ton of great stuff coming well, out. Um, the, the playlist is the new mixtape, right? Uh, that's basically, the, or the new radio. That's really where we are in this kind of, just as you said about consuming music and how it's... Absolutely. But I mean, why not? It's great. But, you know, I mean, I've also been kind of getting back into um, sort of discovering uh, like some kraut rock since mm. I'm here. Like I never really knew craft work. So I started listening to a lot of craft work and it's kind of amazing. Or this group can. It's really can, great. Yeah, I've got some of this stuff on my on my Spotify as well. Or there's I can recommend a band called Noi. Oh, no, I've been listening to Noi. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Band, right? Yeah, from Dusseldorf, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, super put that cool. on, Yeah, put that on Walk the Dog, man. You're just like you're in the zone. You know, it's fantastic, you know. <laughs> I'm giving away all my secrets here now. But, yeah, there's, there's some great stuff in there. I mean, there's uh, well, that's one of the good things about Spotify or YouTube. You can find all these hidden gems that maybe you didn't really know about growing up. And uh, absolutely. Think, it's a whole. Well, you know what I really love is how somebody can just sort of mention a band to you. And you just look it up on your phone, you know, whereas like I, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember, you know, being told about a band and then really having to decide, like, am I going to go to the record store and buy this if I can remember the name of it, if I can find it, <laughs> you know? There's a lot of probabilities in there, right? It's kind of, but now, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Everything's now right in the palm of your hand and you're just like, all right, two taps. Or, uh, speaking of new projects, I said we were, you were just briefly mentioning about maybe getting back on out in the road or getting some shows. The project you're working on at the moment, or the main one, is Craig Walker in the Cold? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, we just put out our first single on a UK label called State 51, uh, called Get Arrested. And so, yeah, we, we were actually going to be doing quite, a, we had a quite a bit of touring booked before the pandemic hit. So now things are sort of, I mean, we're looking at next year, just to be realistic, because mm. there's been so much of this sort of like booking and then it get canceled, booking, getting canceled. So we're just not doing that. But yeah, next year we're, we're going to be doing a little UK tour, probably do something in Greece and in France as well. Um, the song was just reviewed by Rolling Stone France yesterday, which is cool. And it was the so song of the day in Athens for Athens Voices Radio today. So that should be cool. Um, and then one of the things I did during the, the lockdown was Craig's first band. It's called Power of Dreams. This band out of uh, Irish band, obviously, and I produced their their new record. So they're getting some touring opportunities, and I'm going to be playing bass in the live sort of arrangement of that group as well. So it should be fun, you know, especially just playing bass. I mean, that's great. It's just sort of stand in the shadows. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, plans for the album then with Craig Walker and the Cold? That's uh, is the album finished? Uh, the album's almost finished. It's all been recorded. It's being sort of the mixing is getting finished now. Um, I've been co-producing it with a guy out of Toronto, an old friend of mine named Ryan McCambridge. And so he's been working on it out there. There's been some back and forth. We've got about, I think, seven songs done now. But, you know, we're just going to start by just putting out singles, basically. At this point, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, it's such a singles market. It'd be great to put out a record eventually. But if we were to just put them all out right now, and we're trying to sort of build towards something six months from now, we would have kind of shot our shot, right? It gets lost so, a wee bit. Huh? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm, I'm working on tons of stuff. I mean, I've also got a solo project called Lo-Fi Hero that I've been working on. Uh, nothing's come out yet, but I'm quite excited about that. I'm working a lot with a guy that I share a wall with here named uh, Peanut, John Harrison, who's a producer. 
So we've been working on a lot of other people's projects, uh, just doing sessions. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff going on. It's all really exciting, at least for me. <laughs> right on, totally. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been, I've been lucky. I've never had anything come out, but I have actually worked with Dr. Dre, which was really frightening and inspiring in equal doses. Um, Eminem, I mean, I've written quite a lot of songs for Eminem, actually, maybe seven or eight. Um, which have had some cool features on them. I mean, Pink was on one of them. Gwen Stefani was on another one. Uh, did, did a song for Pink as well. Had a song. This is a weird one because it was, it was this sample I'd kind of recorded, but essentially it was my voice with this song that I'd written. And years later, I sort of get this email saying that it's being used for a song by French Montana featuring Kanye West and Nas. So that was kind of cool. Then, yeah, I played guitar on some ASAP Rocky stuff. And then the most recent one, which was definitely sort of the the pivot, if you will, <laughs> is uh, I wrote or co-wrote the song Courage for, um, well, and another one for Celine Dion, which is like the name of her, her new album and tour and all that. I actually came up with the line that has courage, so I kind of got to name that whole thing. But, you know, it, yeah, so that, that, those are, I think, the, the big hits, if you will. And been working on writing some new stuff for Celine as well, which is kind of funny to go, you know, from, you know, one day doing hip hop to the next day doing. I was going to say, right, it's kind yeah. of both ends of the spectrum there. Huh? I mean, it yeah. is, but you know, in my mind, I, I really, I really don't see that big of a difference. It's kind of insane to say that, but to me, I mean, this is anybody who's worked with me has heard me say this over and over and over again in nauseum. But I just feel like the the point is to try and write music that means something to people that elicits some sort of emotional response. And if you give it that broad of a definition, there's really no difference between Eminem and Celine Dion if you're doing it right. And that's kind of just always my goal. And I think that's what's so fun about being a songwriter is that I don't have to just sort of do one thing. But we were talking about a guilty pleasure, which we'll come to in a little bit. Yeah, not too long, but we'll come to a guilty pleasure. And I'd listened that day. I read a story in the paper with uh, Belinda Carlisle. So it was, I think she's got a new album out or a book or something like that. But anyway, she was talking about our trials and tribulations. But it reminded me of a song of hers that came out. It wasn't Heaven is a Place on Earth, because I guess that's the one that everybody knows. But it was a song called I Go Weak. And I thought, yeah, because it just reminded me of whenever it came out 1989 or something and I was just like all right I remember this quite well and a bit of a haze but I kind of remember it and then I thought <laughs> who wrote that song because uh, I was yeah as you'd have these moments quick google search and it was Dion Warren is that or Dion ah, Diane Warren Diane Warren okay yeah and she's oh, yeah. written as you know like yeah for Bon Jovi or whoever like a whole share oh, she's a the whole she's thing a beast yeah. you know Diane Warren apparently I know a few people that have worked with her. She's got this office in LA next to a pretty famous sort of venue. And so you'd sort of see it as the Diane Warren building. And apparently she works, she has this little sort of room that she writes in. And I think I'm getting this right is that nobody's allowed in that room and it's just a total pigsty. And basically she like has like these pneumatic tubes or something. So she'll like, she'll write out the music and then sort of like send it up the tube. And she's got these producers who are on salary. So they don't get any writing. 
but they apparently make quite a good living. You know, they on salaries. It's sort of like, okay, so there's a new new idea from Diane through the tube. <laughs> no one's allowed to. <laughs> Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah. you love something, you know. It's oh, it sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's an interesting way to do it, but yeah, I guess whatever. Yeah, there's no right or wrong way to do it if you're if you're writing tunes like that. I figure. Yeah, so that that was last week's kind of uh, mad moment when I was just thinking because the the songs are so memorable, or maybe even it was because of that distinctive late. It uh, must have been late eighties. No, it must have been late eighties, early nineties sound. It was a very. You know, then the video goes, and I watched the video, and I was like, "Yeah, this is a, it's the whole package." You know, it's just. <laughs> it did blow my mind a little bit, but it was a bit of a guilty pleasure, I must admit. <laughs> Is there some artists that you're working with locally? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think who locally. Uh, uh, I got a session in, um, with Joey Ryan in a couple of weeks. Uh, He's yeah. Yeah, a really good friend of mine. Uh, um, I've been working with a guy named uh, Graham Candy as well, who's also a really good friend. We've got like this band that we want to do called Bliss with another guy named Derek Ullenboom out here. We've actually kind of recorded an EP already, but you know, when we'll find time to finish it, who knows? But I, I would say the the Lo-Fi Hero project I'm really excited about, and I'm trying to sort of start a little label as well, um, and probably start with a bit of a compilation album with some various artists I really like. There's this guy named James John Moore, who's really kind of, um, I don't know what you'd call him, almost like Canadiana, but on piano, if that makes any sense. But, you know, it's, it's all quite varied. It's really good, really good songs is, is the main thing. So, I mean, for me, it's like any anybody I come across that I can that I feel like I can actually add something to it. And I think it's, it's special. I'm happy to work with. It doesn't really need to be genre specific. Top five, Eric, you ready? All right. Well, I just throw it. Well, I just throw them at you. Chuck them uh, at me. A guilty pleasure. Since we just talked about guilty pleasures, then why not? Let me think. Uh, you don't have to feel bad about it. Cause that's not really what I mean, but you know, like Melinda Carlyle, right? There you go. That's on my playlist. You'll find it there. That's a bit of a guilty pleasure. I mean, I've been pretty obsessed lately with uh, "We Belong Together" by Pat Benatar. Big, that, that, that's a bit big guilty. Voice I there. Yeah, that's like yeah. That. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, somebody's like, "Hey, you know, who do you love?" I would be like, "Oh, Pat Benatar." Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not really the one that first comes to mind, Dave. But <laughs> no, not really. Eighties uh, anthemic rock at its best. Then maybe that's. I what do I kind of love eighties anthemic rock. I have to admit. It's so corny, but, you know, kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about a time and a place as well, though, I think, with guilty pleasures. It might be that well, that's it. If, it. if it elicits an emotional response, it's it's doing something. And whether that's because it's triggering, triggering a memory or a feeling, yeah, I don't really think it matters, you know? Is there someone you don't get? You know, someone you find a bit overhyped or overrated? Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you. Um yeah, and this is a terrible answer, and I can't defend it. Taylor Swift. Oh, and Ed Sheeran. Can't stand either of them. You know. Yeah. And I know I'm crazy. I know I'm wrong. <laughs> but if it, if it was if it was like one of these uh, uh, a battle off, I think I might be in the Swift camp because, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really I mean, get them either. That that record that she did with Max Martin is pretty incredible, but I mean, mm. I'm going to say I kind of feel like everything Max Martin does is pretty incredible. So oh, the weekend, right? That uh, yeah, yeah, 
the whole aha sound everyone's like oh that sounds great i was like i was there in 1980 whatever yeah, it, before, it, you know? it sounded great 40 years ago <laughs> yeah. and funnily enough it does sound pretty good today i wonder why that is it's like yeah okay it's, uh, <laughs> hmm. i'd never heard that i knew who the weekend was but i'd never really listened to any stuff i just thought it's like some teenage whatever you know but uh the i think it must have been the super bowl i saw the the half oh, yeah. thing you did and I was like, that's a really good song, that uh, Blinded by the Lights, is it? But yeah, it was a good, yeah. it was a good song. Well, you, know, you know, he's a Toronto guy, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. So he can't be all bad, eh? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you then. So when it comes to songwriting, like just as you mentioned, Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift, or there's a bunch of them, there's so many writers now listed on some of these tracks. It could be a, a team, as it were, right? You know, there's always been collaboration songwriting-wise, whether that's duos or small groups, whatever it was, the Brill Building or whatever it was, there's always these little cliques. But how do you feel about now you can have like a list of eight, nine writers on a you track? Know, I, I sort of feel two ways about it because on the one hand, I feel like some people are getting their due finally because if you look at stuff of the 60s, and I'm going to use the Beatles as an example just because I know them so well, you know, George Martin should have had writing on half of their stuff, especially the later stuff. You know, there's so many contributors that are not listed and it's just Lennon and McCartney. And I think that's a bit ridiculous. You know, these people really just not being undervalued for their contributions. Yeah, it could be Billy Preston or whoever, right? There's, there's Billy a, Preston a blather, should yeah. have writing on the entire Let It Be album. I mean, he wrote parts that are musical that you hum yeah, along to. I mean, exactly. he wrote those parts. On the other hand, I mean, I do see how how the, this same spirit can be abused where there's, you know, this weird thing where now production counts as songwriting in a lot of cases and i can understand that in a sense in that you know the production is so important in selling a song but i get a bit annoyed when somebody programs a hi-hat and ends up with five percent <laughs> you know and i'm not trying to knock that you know because producers are amazing and the guys producing that hi-hat are amazing but it just sort of annoys me that the pie is getting cut up so much and tracks are getting passed around so much that the people who, and now I'm just going to sound like an old fogey, the old fogey that I am. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just kind of get irritated when it's like, you know, two or three people get into a room, really, you know, pour their hearts out and write this piece of music, you know, words, melody, chords. And then six months later, there's these guys who programmed some synths and did drums and all this, and they have an equal writing s split, which is going to continue as a split, no matter how many other versions of that song exist. That to me feels like it's gone a bit too far. So yeah, two minds sure. of it. You know? There you go. That's a fair point. Uh, go to karaoke song, Eric. Hmm. <laughs> Since we were talking about eighties anthemic rock, I don't know if that's your thing in a karaoke way, but we'll find yeah. out. Yeah. Well, God, you know, probably Killer Queen, but I never do it well. If I can find it. I think that's all right. We're not doing it well. It's kind of, it's yeah, the, I mean, it's know, kind of the point. It's the spirit actually, of things, you know. You know, it's actually a funny thing is that, I mean, I actually think I'm a, I'm a pretty good singer and I certainly have a lot of experience performing. But I am terrible at karaoke. There's just some part of my brain just turns off. I can't do it. It's, I really apologize. You, what do you do for a living? You're like, yeah, I don't ask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oof, you know, <laughs> waste disposal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't give up the day job, son, right? You know? <laughs> uh, Eric, who should we be listening to? Uh, yeah, tell us an artist that maybe we were not familiar with, but you would you would recommend for our playlist. 
Hmm. That's a great question. I'd say Graham Candy. Graham Candy's been putting out some really amazing solo stuff. And he's a guy that is well known as um, top liner for sort of, I guess, dance tunes. And that is really just such a small sliver of what he's capable of. And so he's recently put out a few songs that are basically just like acoustic and vocal that are really compelling and, and stunning pieces of music. So I'd recommend checking him out. He's also a friend, but, you know. Fantastic. It's always great to get these little uh, snippets, you know, the artists we don't know and we can share the word. Yeah, beautiful. Last question for you, Eric. Uh, favorite venue? That- favorite venue I've ever played at would probably be La Cigale in Paris because mm-hmm. beautiful and it was just really exciting to do. Favorite venue I've ever been to or I've seen many shows, Hollywood Bowl. Hollywood Bowl is amazing. What's the capacity there? It's not actually. that big. It's, maybe, say it's not huge, huge, right? But it's No, it's, it's like maybe, yeah, like five, six thousand people maybe. Hmm. You know, but it's just, it's just a, such a cool place to see music. You know, I saw Arctic Monkeys there. I saw uh, Dolly Parton there. God, I, I There's a duo man. you'd like to see Arctic Monkeys and uh, Dolly Parton on a duo. That would be fantastic. That man, would be you know? amazing. <laughs> South, South Yorkshire meets kind of uh, yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Then we should work on that, right? I'll, I'll draw <laughs> yeah, you a line there. Well, let's make it happen. <laughs> we'll fix that. <laughs> There's definitely money in there somewhere when we'll make it. <laughs> what about Berlin wise? What's, uh, I know the last year or year and a half has been a bit difficult with venues and whatnot, but is there a a favorite venue that you like there? I mean, you know, to be honest, I really didn't get out all that much while getting out was a thing to do. I mean, I, I saw a couple acts at a place called Marie Antoinette. That was like a really cool, like small venue on the river. But, you know, it's a like capacity of maybe 70 people or something, which I mean, I do love clubs mm. like that. And then I went to this really big place. I can't remember what it was. It was like a sort of football stadium kind of thing, uh, which frankly, you know, it's, it's not great. I mean, how is it ever going to be great? You know, a big, big amphitheater like that. But yeah, I'd say Marie Antoinette or Barbobu are both really cool little spots. Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your day. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Craig. It was really nice to meet you and uh, to be a part of this. It's great. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome on Facebook at expat music pod and of course you can find us on Spotify anchor.fm Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts from you'll find us there until the next one this is Craig saying cheers cheers